Before we get started, I want to let you know about another way you can follow Other Men Need Help. Not a lot of people know this, but this series actually got a lot of its episode ideas from a monthly newsletter I started many years ago. Once this season wraps up, we are bringing back that newsletter, this time weekly. Starting this summer, you can get weekly stories, interviews, short films, and suggestions for what to read, listen, and react to in the world of masculinities. You can sign up at markpagan.substack.com. That's me, Mark with a K, P-A-G-A-N.substack.com. Membership is free, and there will be some cool bonus content coming for those that want to pay. But for right now, All you need to do to join the extended Other Men community this summer is sign up at markpagan.substack.com. This series is one of the places where I share private admittances. So here we go. When I was a kid, I used to love decorating my bedroom walls. There were movie posters from Suncoast when I could buy them, I had slashers up from Fangoria magazines and pictures of heartthrobs from Bop and Tiger Beat. In a middle school, I discovered my gold mine. I used to get picked up after school from a local library and I would grab stacks of magazines from the periodical racks. These were mostly People and Premier magazines and I'd bring them to the quiet reading room and slowly rip out pictures I wanted to take home. I got a bunch of mob movie full-page ads, and I scored a picture of Julia Roberts that I was going to hold on to until I married her. I don't share this to get the guilt off my chest. I share it because for whatever reason, what I put on my bedroom wall was very, very, very important to me. A mood board for a life to come. And since making the show, we started out nearly every interview with the same question. What did you put up on your bedroom wall when you were an adolescent? The answers are always met with a little smile. I had posters of like Dracula and Frankenstein. I had a poster of Jessica Simpson in the Dukes of Hazard. Something related to High School Musical because I was obsessed. You had to have Bruce Lee in there. I had the TV Guide cover of the four Seinfeld characters. I guess it was Fleetwood Mac. I had just started to learn guitar, so there's probably a guitar in there somewhere. I remember I had a giant poster from The Shining where it's, you know, Jack Nicholson's face, here's Johnny at the bottom of it. Tattooed women that I ripped out from different tattooed magazines. Lots of pop culture all over everyone's walls. But the most consistent answers for men have been about... Sports things. It'd be a lot of climbing magazines, rock climbing magazines. It was a lot of skating, because I used to aggressive skate. I would have still had a fair amount of my baseball trophies. Baseball posters that I had my aunt steal from the Boston Globe. Cricketers, really full-size posters of cricket players that I used to admire. Pictures of David Ortiz and Manny Ramirez. I had a Michael Jordan poster. The 1992 Dream Team, John Stockton, Carl Malone, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Charles Barkley, Patrick Hewing. Uh, I could probably recite that old team. Sports, sports, sports. 
More specifically, action shots of athletes. A prize totem for generations of young people's walls. Courtside, touchdown, home plate shots of our modern icons. Glistening in stadium lighting, muscles bulging, focus, beautiful, sculptural, godly. What dreams may come from staring at poster after poster of people at the height of physical performance? This is where I offer my other private admittance. I don't keep up with sports. And when someone starts talking about an athlete or a game and includes me in the conversation like I know what they're talking about, I won't correct them. Kind of like when someone gets your name wrong and it goes past the point where you can say, it's Mark, not Mike, without making it awkward. Similar thing with me and sports. When talking to Javier about anything related to athletics, it was easy. Number one, he's very open to the fact that not everyone followed sports the way he did growing up. And number two, I actually knew some of his references, namely because they crossed over with one of my biggest influences as a teen, hip-hop. Like the 1990s magazine Slam, basketball with a hip-hop twist. Its pages used to end up on Javier's wall as a teenager. It was one with, like, Stefan Marbury when he was still in high school. So it was kind of like him on the cover, but they had him sitting on this just chair with his legs crossed, and he had these cool, like, New Balance kind of, like, hiker sneakers that were, like, sneakers but hiking shoes. And he just looked like the coolest sort of thing. When he wasn't surrounding himself with sports in his bedroom, Javier was outside living it. And I was just always an athlete. At the time, it was just all I could think of. I'm Mark Lagan, and this is Other Men Need to Tell Me Who to Root For. Home team, home team, home team, home team. Back in the day, as a kid going to a small school, Javier was known as the sports guy. I mean, that was kind of like everything. Like for me, I remember for my birthday, I had a sleepover party. And I think I made the guys who came over, we watched Hoop Dreams and Above the Rim, you know? And I think they were just like, oh, come on, are you serious? If there was something that involved propelling a ball somewhere, Javier was in the mix. Growing up, I played basketball, I played baseball, I played soccer until I hit middle school. And that's when I really just focused on like basketball. Played on the varsity team my freshman year. My senior year, I was a thousand point scorer. Javier got his thousand point score later in the game. Lots of fanfare from the crowd. They even stopped the game to give Javier a commemorative ball. Rick Barry, he actually graduated from my high school. He was the one that, if you look at the old clips, he shot free throws underhand from the 70s. And now Rick Barry, the league's leading scorer. What a superb basketball player he is. So I actually have more career points in high school than he does. Javier's goal was to play basketball professionally, but puberty forced him to reckon with the limitations of being five foot nine in a tall person's game. But if shooting hoops wasn't the thing, 
he'd find something that was. I did run a little track in high school, college, played basketball. I did triathlons for two summers. I've started racing, road cycling, raced for about three or four years. I would go to the gym two, three days a week. Then on the side, got into rock climbing. And every athlete, professional or not, has the photo. It's this picture I kind of just love. There's this like focus to it. I kind of love the muscle striations in my forearms. Kind of enjoy looking at my shoulders <laughs> in the picture. So it kind of like tips into some of like the vanity pieces. How would you describe the look in this picture? It's a very kind of focused gaze because there is probably a handhold that is probably either really tiny or just like a, like a little far out to have to reach. I have a few pictures of myself when I was younger in the middle of an activity, but this, this is the one I'd want framed. One that says, I climb mountains, damn it. It's a record of a muscular focused young man. It's a picture that screams, this is an athlete. Javier spent his whole life immersed in sports and exertive activity. And then he became a dad. My daughter was born, so then there was just sort of less time. You probably know where this is going. A new dad with a new daughter, not as much opportunity to go for a long endurance bike ride or hours of rock climbing or even visits to the gym. Javier's activity level dropped significantly. The years he spent building his identity as an athlete were fading in the rearview mirror. And he's had small moments where he hyper-focused on his changing body. Like recently, when Javier caught a glimpse of a different kind of photo. It was a really innocuous moment with the family. We were sitting in the car in the back seat with my daughter and she's in her car seat in between us. And it was like the way my face was there with the car seat on it, it just made my face look feel like it looked, to me, looked chubby. I've got this stuff all wrapped around body image and who I was as an athlete and kind of like all the ideas of identity that are kind of tied into that. I still struggle with it on a daily basis. And there's one word, one phrase, one descriptor that acts as a scarlet letter for Javier. A word that signals his identity as an athlete is gone. The idea of dad bod, it freaked me out. Like I said earlier, I don't know a lot about sports. And I don't know a lot about being a dad yet. But I do know about dad bod. Mostly from the dads who talk to me about their bods. And yes, the changes in my own dad-aged body. I'm sure when you hear the term, it's used both affectionately and at times fatphobically. And I'm sure you have some visual. I hear it a lot these days in a page six sort of use, targeting celebrities caught shirtless. An easy framing since celebrities are photographed throughout their careers, we have readily available before and afters of shirtless hunks now looking less muscular in their later years. Javier isn't comparing himself with celebrities, though. He's comparing himself with the standard he set up for himself when he was much younger. What do you associate with 
dad bod. It's guys who maybe at one point were incredibly active people and who are still always telling stories of like, oh yeah, I used to be fit and I used to be this and I'm scared of being that. What does that signal to you? Like you're failing because it's much deeper than just about physical appearance. It's about success. It's about kind of what you're doing you know, in your life. There are really shallow parts of me that are, you know, sort of working through. Javier's living in Vermont in a very comfortable middle-class groove. Wife, kid, home, car, disposable income. But there's something about the dad bod idea that ties back to the ways he's had to compete and find his place growing up. You know, it was a working-class slash middle-class neighborhood, a lot of old Irish, Italian, or Polish family. For me, growing up, there wasn't a lot of, like, mixed kids around. Probably starting around, like, 11 or 12, and I think all sort of through high school, I definitely struggled with that. And more than a lifestyle, being an athlete was an identity in a town, childhood, and mixed-culture household where claiming your identity can make things confusing. I've always had that internal struggle of never feeling like Puerto Rican enough or never feeling black enough, never feeling Jamaican enough and feeling so insecure and so intimidated by that. It's still to this day, there's still a little bit of that. While I can't claim I know what it's like to be an athlete or know what it's like to be a dad, I do know what it's like to be a mixed culture kid and feel ethnically out of place. And... I do know what it's like to want to compete, to want to find something that's considered a desirable identity, like being one of the best athletes in school. This, Javier could do. It was a concrete thing with lots of positive attention. He eventually pursued athletics in college and adulthood, which took him out of New Jersey and into different places. But he was still an athlete, or physically registered as one, until he had a kid. And all of this is why the dad bod label brings up a lot of complicated feelings of identity for someone like Javier. If I were to introduce you to somebody, I can still say Puerto Rican, Jamaican, you know, father, husband, things like that. Would it be fair to add athlete in there? That's where it's tricky for me now as someone in middle age is identifying as like an athlete. Is that something I still kind of want for myself? Have I sort of tied my own personal image of myself to those activities? I wondered how someone like Javier, really how all of us, can come to better terms with accepting our new identities as we get older. And I come back to the idea of the posters on the bedroom wall. What if we could ask one of those idols to ground us in some kind of reality and sense of empowerment? Is there an adult equivalent? Maybe someone Javier's age that he saw as a model of the athletic build or lifestyle he wanted. And while Javier doesn't have a celebrity or athlete he compares his body to, he does have someone very close in his life. One of my best friends in college, I think he and I are about the same height, probably about 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, but he's just always been muscular with like a six-pack and everything. 
And he still has this like ripped body. And I'm just like, what is he doing? Because I want to be able to do that. I've got stepdad bod, you know, like divorced dad bod, partial custody dad bod. <laughs> like I have time dad bod. They're my kids too, dad bod, but not really dad bod. That's Lamar. To be clear, he's not a dad, but he is Javier's old friend. And I got Javier and Lamar together to talk to each other, decades into their friendship, about the way they've changed and what they continue to hold on to. Do you attribute in any way your identity as an athlete for so many years and like your commitment to fitness as having a lot to do with holding on to something? Absolutely. I sort of think about the person who in their 20s, who was this maybe this basketball players or whatever, someone who's super, super athletic, really fit. And then you see them, you know, 20 years later, they're like, no, nah, that person wasn't this back in the day. I can't blame anybody who has the responsibilities that a parent has, who I guess missed a step in some way by the standards of a younger version of themselves. You're absolutely right. When you were 20, you had five hours in the day where you could go work out, you could go to the gym, and your life becomes just more full. Javier and Lamar played on the Haverford basketball team for a short time together. Javier says that the basketball team was poorly led, and a lot of the guys on the team didn't take it seriously, which is why Lamar might have stopped playing soon after they met. And obviously, enough of a bond was there for them to remain friends for decades more. I want to believe that we knew on some level that we were two guys that were just trying to figure ourselves out and figure out like what our place in the world was, who we were at the time. There were definitely ways in which we could have been at odds with each other and could have seen each other as, say, as competition. But that never happened. You know, like we were each other's cheerleaders. We got into the whole dad bod Sancocho and how we came to Lamar, a close friend, to share how Javier had been grappling with his identity and the way body image points to some standard he set up during his youth. It still matters. It's still there. And I have some days that are better than others. Some days we're in like, this doesn't determine my value or what I sort of contribute to this world. It's something I grapple with. It's a surreal feeling to hear what other people, especially people that mean a lot to you, think of you. To Javier's observation, I've been fortunate enough to be able to, I guess, measure up by certain uh, cosmetic standards. Western standards have set as, you know, good. But the flip side of it is that you have to wonder whether people actually see you. If I were to dig deeper into how I understand my own like self-image or body image, I can't divorce it from my memory of feeling fetishized during specific periods, maybe even during college. Javi and I were both like one of maybe 20 or 30 black students in a college of 1,100 people, I couldn't help but suspect that what I represented 
meant more to people than who I actually was. And a lot of that had to do with just what people saw, which was my body. So carrying that forward into life sometimes made it a little bit embarrassing to be like noticed, but at the same time, you want to be (laughs) because it's validating. And when reflecting on the concerns that Javier now has about his body and identity, Lamar thinks there's only one part of the term dad bod that we should focus on and celebrate. From my perspective, men who are fathers who may not be in their physical prime as they once were, for example, or or remember being in it and aren't in it anymore, to me represents a kind of wealth that goes beyond your financial means. There is a meaningful partnership that I attach to it. You are a steward of life or at least one other small person. And like the riches that I hear parents talk about, I think a body type shift seems like the marker of achievement more than an indicator of letting yourself go. I definitely have those moments of like, yes, wanting to provide that safety and wanting to provide that comfort. Times if I'm like laying like with my daughter in those moments with her, and I know it's totally cliche, but it's the absolute truth. It's like, you don't get those back. For those moments you don't get back, Javier does go back to a photo that he shared with me. It's not of him climbing a mountain or him breaking a school record in basketball. It's a photo booth four shot featuring Javier, his daughter at three years old, and a sock puppet taken at the Fernbank Science Museum. It's kind of incredible. You can make out Javier's torso and chin, but it's his daughter's show as she brings a sock puppet in and out of frame like a special guest star. It's Javier's favorite picture with his daughter, a highlight reel of the personality that he says was hardwired in her from birth. It lives on in a little shrine he made, and it makes him smile every time he looks at it. It's this goofing around that is becoming more frequent and something that he's leaning into more. The house, it's about three quarters of like an acre So my daughter's always like playing around in that. And she's really big into riding horses right now. And so she actually has like, there are these plastic horses called briar horses. For hours, she will just be in the yard pretending like she's on riding a horse, running, doing courses, doing jumps and everything. And so I have to like run around with her and she's just like, no, you need to trot and or you need to canter. There's definitely ways in which, like, I'm thinking, like, oh, man, okay, I'm running around doing this. But I also have to, like, just coming back to, like, being present. If she and I are running around, great, and she's enjoying. So let's just kind of go with that. If I'm reading what you're saying right, that is more important, or you're at least fighting to say that it's more important to have that versus being Mr. Athlete or even things we've talked about over the last few years, having a dad bod or fighting the dad bod. I'm not Javier, like the athlete, and who also does this other stuff. It's like, I am Javier, the father, all these other pieces. And activity is 
a part of who I am, but it's not that central thing. So it's going through that point, I said, that, that, that rebalancing of, of how I'm seeing myself and how I'm wanting to present that to the world. Is there a world in which being silly and running around with your child is a form of being an athlete? A new definition of being a dadthlete? Yeah, absolutely. Javier is still working this identity out, but he feels pretty active for a guy his age with a kid. Now getting to work out three to four times a week, hiking every few weeks during the warmer months, and running around the yard with his daughter almost daily. Which, after saying this, I'm realizing is actually a ton of physical activity. He's making more sense of his life as Javier, middle-aged partner and dad. And I suppose he's adapting to a New England identity, too. Especially with the latest athletic activity Javier's embraced. We have one of the solo stove fire pits. And so we've got like some like trees that we've taken down. And I'm like, I found out I really love splitting wood. Just going for like a half hour. I find it very therapeutic and very satisfying. You now, in my opinion, can add Vermonter to your <laughs> your multi-hyphenates. Do I need to read Walden now? <laughs> This episode was written, hosted, and executive produced by Mark Pagan. This episode was produced by Navani Otero. Our season's lead producers are Caitlin May Burke, Ben Goldberg, and Rebecca Seidel. Navani is our producer. Shanice Tendel is our associate producer. Rebecca is our lead engineer. Ben is our lead editor. Our researchers this season are Bay Wang and Shanice. Tuck Woodstock is our sensitivity listener. Noah Hofelder is our intern. Our production mascots for season four are Soka, a very furry baby, and the late sweet pity pig named Lena. And if you listen closely, you can hear her snoring in some of the tape this season. Original music this season comes from Fulton Street Music Group, composed by Ed Duran, produced by Alex Fulton, with additional instrumentation by Ryan Chamberlain and Liam Moore as well as original music from Blue Dot Sessions. Season four illustrations done by the magical hands of Daniel De La Huerta. Want to join the extended Other Men community this summer? Sign up for our weekly newsletter at markpagan.substack.com where you'll get stories, interviews, short films, and suggestions for what to read, listen, and react to in this wide world of masculinities. Sign up at Mark with a K pagan.substack.com We'll be back next week with another episode. And until then, adios. Ciao, ciao. Bye.
Do you feel a stronger connection to one side of like the dual culture household? The early part sort of growing up, it was probably a little bit more towards the Jamaican side. Random question. What's the best kind of rice? <laughs> like it is your meal, your final meal before your execution. <laughs> and you can pick any rice variation. And it could be from anywhere in the world, anytime in history. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. My grandmother, my mom's side, she would make like a really good like rice and like pigeon peas with like coconut milk. It was just so good. And then the other thing, pasteles, like over the holidays, since I'm in Vermont, I can't get pasteles here. Like I found someone online who makes them and ships them. So like, I'm just going to like go to town on it. Wow. Um I didn't eat lunch, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I poorly timed this conversation. 